Following the sermon congregation, we will sing Psalm 102, stanzas 6, 1, 6, and 8. 102, 1, 6, and 8. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all agree that praying is something special, something rather perhaps difficult. We all know that good intentions alone do not make prayer perfect and acceptable before God. You could say, that prayer is an art that requires a lot of practice. And some simple questions quickly show that. How often do you pray? And I do not mean along with the family or along with the public prayers in church. Do you pray regularly? I don't mean per week, I mean throughout the day. Do you do it more than, pick a number, three, three times? Five times? Do we know what is required when it comes to prayer? After all, the Apostle says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we have to pray constantly. Do you know what it means? How do you do that? Pray constantly. Do you pray with your eyes closed? Do you fold your hands during prayer? Or would you like to lift up your hands in prayer? Why do we want everybody to be quiet? When we pray, and you turn the radio off, you turn whatever else is going on, and you try to create some silence. These questions go a certain direction. We pray a certain way, but we know and we sense that there are different ways. You could ask more questions. That makes it even complicated. Because people we respect, they hold hands during prayer. They call that a circle prayer. Is that wrong? Circle prayer sometimes includes personal contributions, and it's you take a turn. Is that wrong? People that we respect have their children pray regularly. Is that wrong? Or another question, why do we pray as church? Why is it one of the task descriptions of a minister to lead in public prayer? The Bible seems to put emphasis on personal prayer. After all, that whole section of Psalms 
are, in fact, all prayers, and for that matter, quite personal. So there's a lot of stuff going on in our mind when the, the minute you begin to think about prayer. Now, all these questions call for an answer. And there's an answer, because God has spoken first. That's why I preach to you the Word of God, and the theme of the sermon then is, a church that prays stays. A church that prays stays. Why must we pray? How must we pray? And what must we pray? So, a church that prays stays. Why, how, and what must we pray? The Bible, brothers and sisters, you find many prayers, many different ways of praying, and many different circumstances under which prayers are offered up to God. It's very clear from the Psalms. The book of Psalms is a, a book in the Bible filled with many beautiful prayers. Prayers that are, as we have sampled through it a little bit, you have noticed that there are many different circumstances, sometimes very difficult circumstances. And then the prayers go up. In the Psalms you find that the children of God have prepared, prayed quite differently. And mostly because of the depressing, difficult circumstances they find themselves in. And there's great variety. There's great contrast. There's diversity. And effectively, these prayers go through the whole range of emotions and circumstances one might find himself in. And there you have the first lesson concerning prayer. We should never think that we are in circumstances and experiences that are so unique that you cannot pray about it. After all, it's God Himself who made sure that the Psalms ended up in our hands so that we as His children would never think that there's nothing that we cannot pray about. We should never take from it that we are sometimes in circumstances that are too crazy to pray about. You expect me to say that. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you. Does that comfort you or does it confuse you? Does it lift you up or does it disappoint you that you have to pray about everything? I've heard the argument that people said, can't go to the Psalms because it doesn't make any sense because they always end up on the right ending. And saintly people can pray wonderful things. But that's not me. Is that what you think? Do you feel that prayers are like shots in the dark? You might hit something. Chances are that you miss something. Many Christians struggle with this. They do not know what it does when they pray. They do not know what it means to pray. Who would not wonder what to pray when you think about a child, a precious child you have that strays? 
Should you pray for that child? Or have, do you have to quit praying? When a marriage breaks down, must you pray or not? And for what? For glorious healing and restoration or for a graceful dissolution? When someone has been told, I got bad news for you. You're very ill. And that might be unto death. What are you going to pray for? Are you not going to pray? You've been there. I've been there. You struggle. You say, Lord, why me? Why now? Why this? What do you pray for? Are you just going to quit? Because you are too busy in your head. Any situation, my brother and sister, presents us with the same question. Should we pray or should we not? And if the answer is yes, we should pray, then what are you going to pray for? Someone's ill. Healing or acceptance? Someone's dying. Are you going to pray for restoration of life or for a gracious transition? That's one of the difficulties we face. And perhaps we think that referring to the book of Psalms doesn't help. Because those prayers seem to be out of our league, very surreal. I think it's not an exaggeration to say that there might be a great deal of skepticism about prayer. I think the statistics bear it out. I'm sure you agree that we don't pray as often as we should. We're not quite getting to the 1 Thessalonians 5 level, that we pray unceasingly. And we are not regular either. So what do you think of prayer? Are you disappointed? Have you quit praying altogether? Or do you pray because you have this thing of superstition and custom that sort of keeps you on track? Well, if those challenges are not enough, you may be challenged by other questions. Christians, good Christians, have argued that regular prayer leads to customer superstition, and therefore you should not pray regularly or frequently. You should leave it to the extraordinary events when you get squeezed hard enough that you have nothing left in you but to say, Oh, Lord, help me. In fact, people who call themselves Christians have argued that praying won't change the outcome of what happens anyway because what you pray for is already known by God. And God will do His will anyway. Sounds a bit fatalistic. But there are people who say that. The argument stems from the truth that God is the omniscient God. He knows everything. He's decided everything. And you can pray what you want, but the plan of God is not going to change anyway. And in addition, they might say, God is almighty. And your prayer is not going to stop Him from acting the way He has decided. So what prayer would there be in your... What power would there be in your prayers? 
Yes, it has been argued that praying is almost an expression of distrust because God in His providence does care for His people and will certainly do what He promised. So why would one pray? Because it may look like you don't trust God. Now, with all that swirling through our heads, we have to ask ourselves the question that basically the catechism is asking. Is there sense in praying? Is there a need for prayer? Is there a necessity for prayer? If you do not know whether God hears or when you know that God has decided anyways, where does it come from that we must pray? Well, to get there, we have to understand what praying actually is. Well, prayer is not a form of meditation in which you reflect on the things of the day and muse by your own thoughts, and God might be listening to you. Prayer is not a form of internal cleansing in which you speak with your eyes closed about your own flaws and mistakes in the hope to purge yourself. All those ideas are confusing things from modern self-help psychology and people dabbling in meditation techniques from other places in the world. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not in the first place about me or you. It's clear from the Bible, and you find in the Bible many examples of right prayers. And it's demonstrated in that situation, for instance, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel together with the priest of Baal. Two different prayers were offered up. The priests of Baal, they do many different things, and they pray like crazy. And I mean it, because that cotton was definitely a crazy thing. We know about the sacrifice of the cutting, the racket they made. But what are they doing? The bottom line is this, that they want to manipulate their God. They want to get a handle on Baal and direct him to their purposes. Now, the Lord Jesus has something choice to say about that. He says, the Gentiles' prayers are very demonstrative and a waterfall of repetitions of the same thought so that they can manipulate, wear your God down. And that is what the Gentiles think about their gods. First, they think their gods are limited in what they can do. And second, that their God needs a lot of information and coaching and manipulating. And that shows in that situation we read about when Paul speaks to the men of Athens. And he tells them that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to mankind life, breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of the periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So what is the apostle saying? Well, in the first place, the apostle demonstrates the greatness of God 
by speaking about His omniscience, His omnipotence, and His providence. And there you have the difference right there and then. God is a different God compared to all the other gods. He is in control of the agenda already. And then the apostle speaks about seeking God. That means praying to God. And that clearly doesn't speak about changing God's plans or coaching God. But it speaks about the good that man would receive from God. If he would seek God. It is clear that God knows all. That he can do all. That he can provide for all. But man should seek him. So the apostle speaks of everything Expecting everything from God instead of manipulating God. Simply put, Paul points out that God alone is the acting one. But the Gentiles are pointing at themselves as the activators of their gods. And that is where the other examples connect. When the Baal priests pray... They do exactly what the Gentiles always do. Namely, they act like activators of their gods. But what does Elijah do? He doesn't say, Lord, I have a plan, and this is the outline. You get it? Do it? No, he simply praises God in what he does and what he is. The Lord Jesus speaks about the very same. He says, you don't need a waterfall of words to impress Because God is almighty. He knows what you need. Now that teaches us what prayer is. Catechism is so clear about that. First, we must call upon the one true God only who has revealed Himself in His Word for all that He commanded us to pray. It begins with God. Prayer is about God and His work. When prayer is about man and what he wants and what man thinks that God has to do, the Lord says, no, 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 no. He's repeatedly said that through the service of the prophets. When you spread out your hands, he says in Isaiah 1, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Amos 5, he says, Take away, take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps. I will not listen. He said, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You read it in Micah 3, you read it in Jeremiah 7. As for you, Micah, do not pray for this people. Imagine that. The prophet gets told, don't pray. Or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Why does the Lord say that? Because he's not going to be manipulated by his creatures. He doesn't need to be activated by his creatures. But his creatures have to know him for who he is. Prayer is about God. It's about his work. It's about praise in the first place. It is, as we heard this morning, about benedicting, speaking good of God. It is about magnifying His name. And God is pleased with that. Now that is what Paul explained to the men of Athens. 
They shouldn't make themselves the object of their prayers, but they should make God the object of their prayers. And that's the first thing of prayer, glorification. The catechism spoke about that in the, in the previous Lord's days, but now it is the same. Nothing has changed, my brother and sister, because the way God wanted it in paradise is still the way God wants it. God created all things for the glory of His name. And He has not changed. It is still the same. God alone should be the object of all our words. What God has made the goal of life for man that had been rejected. But the Lord Jesus restored what was broken by establishing forgiveness. And so He opened the way to that praise again, to that worship, to that prayer. And He does so completely. Because Lord's Day 32 speaks about the fact that Christ not only redeems us, but also renews us for the purpose of that we may show ourselves thankful to God, that we may glorify God, that we may praise God. In other words, our whole life long, Christ works on it, that we have God in the center of everything. Now, prayer is then the most important part of the thankfulness. And that's how we find the answer to the question why we must pray. Because it's not a, because we have to meditate. We don't pray because we have to purge ourselves. We do not pray, we, we do not pray because we're called to alter the course of God's plan. No, we pray. Because prayer is glorifying God. Christians are the work of Christ. And He came, as He says in that wonderful prayer in John 17, I came to glorify Your name. And then we are taken up in that work. That, that's why prayer is about glory for God. That especially in our words, in that most unique gift that God gave to us, that we have the ability to speak. He says, you word it. What my glory is. Now we understand why we have to be careful with prayers. Many prayers are based on good intentions, but they have the wrong goal. So many prayers are man-centered. We make it about our glory, about our goals. So many prayers are demonstrative. We like to show that we know what should be done. So many prayers are exhibitionistic. We like to have others admire us for our prayer activity. So many prayers are used for speaking to one another and having group discussion, as it were, to share with one another what we think of a situation. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to give you an example. I will not give, quickly forget the disappointment that a senior couple expressed to me because I had thanked and prayed to God for celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. But I prayed for them when they were not in church. I said, you didn't pray for us. I said, well, I do. I didn't pray to you. 
I pray to God, give glory to Him that He cared for you. So my question is, would it be necessary that you hear the prayer that is sent up to God to give glory to Him about you? The prayer is calling upon God. Another example strikes closer to home. It can be heard that in connection with cases of discipline, someone might say, you know what, I don't really care about this, but it doesn't make any sense to me that you have a first step of discipline when there's no name announced. Now, now I can't pray. Did you catch the inconsistency there? Of course you can pray. Because you're not praying to the person. You're not even praying to yourself. You're praying to God. That He may bring about change of heart. Would it be necessary, if God is a changer of hearts, would it be necessary for that sinner, that hardened sinner, to hear that prayer? Will be good, but it's not necessary. So let God be in the center of your prayer. Let the glorification of the name of God be the main point of your prayer. Because that's what we are created for. That's what we are redeemed for. And we are able to do it because of Jesus Christ who redeemed us to offer up that offer of thankfulness also in our words. So we come to the second point, then how must we pray? First thing is that you close your eyes. Because it makes room for the faith. Those who pray with their eyes open, pray for what they see. But when you don't see, you lift it up to what you do believe. Now we may not may not seem that may not seem to convince us, but our faith convinces us that God is indeed worthy of all honor. Faith's honesty also requires that we constantly remind ourselves that we're unworthy of any of the things that God is doing for us. Praying is about God's glory, not about man's glory. And it's obvious that when we're brutally honest with ourselves, there's nothing glorious in us. That's what the Catechism says. We must humble ourselves. Those who humble themselves state that God is everything and that they are nothing. And that highlights that God has chosen us in His goodness. We heard this morning, Deuteronomy 7, that He chose us not because we're more worthy or better or more numerous, we're not worthy of anything, but He has chosen us anyway. That's the point that we are so surprised about. Humbling is knowing that you're an unworthy servant. That's why kneeling in the Bible is mentioned as a posture even for kings. Solomon prayed that the dedication of the temple, and on a platform, he was in view of all the people praying on his knees. 1 Kings 8. That's why hand, the hands are stretched out to heaven. That's why we lift up our hands to heaven, because that's the place where it all comes from. It's also why prayers are not done on the market squares, on the street corners, but in the inner room. Because humility must show there's nothing coming from us. But everything is from God and to God and about God. 
That's why you find in the Bible descriptions for praying that range from praising, extolling, magnifying, exalting, rejoicing, making merry. All those expressions say, one way or the other, that all man's joy is in God. God is the one who did it all. That we live and breathe and have our being comes from Him. The reality of our lives shows that it's hard for us to keep praying regularly. The reality shows that some have a problem praying even once a day. Maybe I'm optimistic. Maybe it's once a week. So we are far removed from what the Apostle says about praying constantly. What do you do about that? Well, it would begin with finding the words in the Word. You have to relearn who God is, what He does for sinners, what He does for you and me. And in order to be renewed in that knowledge, you've got to open up that Bible. The beginning of prayer starts in these words. That is how we must pray. You pray with your Bible open. Only those who have their Bible open will grow to appreciate what it means that God is the Creator, Redeemer, and Restorer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praying, my brother and sister, is an open Bible affair. For then you see that the Lord Jesus Christ has done so much, and in doing so much, He's doing so much still. And then you rest assured that God will indeed complete what He has started in His work of salvation. James speaks about praying, and he links it to believing. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That's why you have to have what James 3 says, the wisdom that comes from above. And he says that in the chapter where at the beginning he speaks of the sins of the tongue. How do you control that tongue? How do you have the tongue say the right things? Well, you need the wisdom from above. That's the second part of James 3. And so we come to the third point, my brother and sister, what then do we pray for? In the light of what has been said, it's clear that we do not want to send up a laundry list. If the glorification of the God is the goal of our life, and if we're called to do that constantly in prayer, then all we pray for concerning ourselves must be aligned with the glory of God. When I put it that way, you shouldn't think that we're talking about these spiritual things. Praying is not about airy-fairy, pie-in-the-sky things. No, praying is about the stuff that you get told about in Lord's Day 1. Our body and soul, both in life and death. Praying is about belonging to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, through Jesus Christ, will hear our prayer for the bodily needs and the needs of the soul.
Do you realize how privileged we are that we can talk about these things with God? We are unworthy people. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We may present God with what we think is needed for body and soul. What a privilege. That's it. Tell me. I want to hear it from you. What do you think belongs to that package? Now, it's good to highlight what is in that package. What we need, it says, not what we want. Many Christians do not know what to pray for because they have everything they want and that's the only thing they would pray for if there's anything missing in that package. So let me ask the question again. Do you know what you need? See, wants are likely aiming for the glory of man. But needs aim for the glory of God. If and when you pray for needs, you will be heard. How can God not hear the prayers of His children as they seek to honor Him? Now, you may have noticed that the Catechism seeks in the plural all the way throughout this Lord's name. It says God's people prays. The emphasis is on the prayers of the church, because the church is bought and prepared for the presentation to the Father. That's our reason for being. For that we pray together, and we grow together. That's why we pray as church, because we pray for each other that we as church may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, as individuals we pray, but we're not on our own. We are members of the body. And the church in turn prays for the individuals so that together we may continue to glorify God. Together we are the body, and together we pray. Together we humble ourselves before God. Together we magnify God. Together we are grateful for Christ our Savior. That is why we pray. That is how we pray. That is what we pray for. In Him we live and move and have our being. So the conclusion of the matter is this. A church that prays stays. But a church that not, does not pray plays. Either you pray and stay en route to eternity, or you play with your destiny. Let our prayer be to stay with God forever. Then all your prayers will end right. Amen.